Hello, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Becker's Healthcare Podcast Series. I am Mariah Muhammad with Becker's Hospital Review. Excited to be joined today by Nicole Scott, disease-specific certificate reviewer ortho at the Joint Commission. Nicole, thank you so, so much for joining us today. How are you? Thank you for having me. I'm fine. How are you? Good. Thank you so much. And very excited to have you on the podcast today. Um, with that, let's dive right into our discussion. I have plenty of things to ask you today. In a highly competitive healthcare landscape, as you know, um, what strategies can a joint program adopt to stand out and achieve flawless outcomes? Are there any success stories or best practices that have allowed certain programs to rise above the rest? Yes. Yeah, so as you stated, really the way to stand out in this very competitive environment of joint replacement surgery is to achieve the best outcomes. And in order for those outcomes to be as good as they can be, pre-optimization of the patient as well as education of the patient prior to surgery has really become a major focus. So what we have seen is that the pre-surgical or pre-anesthesia testing visit used to just be making sure the patient is safe to undergo anesthesia. That was traditionally how this visit went. What we now are seeing that in a lot of joint programs, the pre-surgical testing visit is now a multidisciplinary evaluation. So many programs have the patient seen by a provider, which can be a PA, an NP, or sometimes even an anesthesiologist, depending on the complexity of the patient. So in addition to going over their medical history, they also do extensive education on lifestyle factors that can affect their recovery. So nutrition, hydration, exercise, sleep. Um, we also see programs involving pharmacists to do a really detailed medication reconciliation and a lot of teaching. Often patients are also seen by physical therapy during this visit for a eval. That way, if there are any issues and the patient may need some prehab or extra resources. We know this before the patient even comes in for surgery. Case management and respiratory therapy also will see the patient in a lot of programs. So it's a really comprehensive look at the patient prior to surgery to identify any kind of issues that could be barriers to a smooth recovery. We're also seeing um, really a lot of multiple ways to educate the patient pre-op, not just in person, we're also seeing virtual, video-based, we're seeing app-based platforms that are interactive that will send the patients reminders and educational materials. So really a lot of different ways to try to engage the patient. And lastly, something else um, that seems to really be um, on the rise and that seems to work really well in terms of improving outcome is having those ancillary team members that are specialized in the care of the orthopedic patient. So for instance, the hospitalist that might see the patient while they're in the hospital is specific to orthopedics. And so they understand the needs and the challenges that come with these patients. Likewise, some hospitals have dedicated orthopedic anesthesia providers that are really experienced in the different neuraxal um, anesthesia methods and the peripheral nerve blocks that are now often used in arthroplasty. So a lot of different ways to really try to tailor the care for these patients and maximize their outcome. Yeah, absolutely. That is all very, very interesting. It's great to hear there are several ways 
um, to be able to teach and engage patients before the procedure, because that's obviously so important. And as you know, developing a successful joint program often comes with a share of challenges that I'm sure you know you have several of. Um, could you highlight some common obstacles and provide tips or insights on how to overcome them? Are there any specific approaches that have proven effective in navigating these hurdles? Yeah, so there's lots of different hurdles. Um, the ones we as reviewers um, focus on is unfortunately in our healthcare environment, sometimes we really have silo-based care environments. So the different areas of healthcare are in their own little silo and don't necessarily communicate well. So this can be problematic, both in terms of patient care as well as efficiency of the program. So it's really imperative when the program is getting off the ground to get all these essential team members to the table where all of them have input. So that means, of course, the surgeons, but also nursing, physical therapy, the anesthesia providers, case management, um, as well as the different areas that the patient will be accessing in the hospital or in the ASC. So pre-op, the OR, PACU, all of those places need to talk and really communicate smoothly. And that is important to set up from the outset. And then having those different disciplines meeting regularly thereafter to evaluate how things are going and if there needs to be any changes to protocol or order sets, all of those team members should be involved. And so in addition to also avoiding a fragmented approach, what's really important but also very challenging is standardization. So standardization, as you know, really not only improves efficiency, but it also helps us to prevent errors and omission. So what we want is standardized protocols where the patients have the same order sets. So each total knee has the same order sets. Of course, you will deviate for the patient's needs, but the basic protocol is the same. So you don't want every surgeon to have their own you know, laundry list of preferences because that gets confusing and is a recipe for something to be overlooked or omitted. And so it's important to get all the surgeons and all the players at the table and really agree to what are some standards that we're going to adhere to. So I've seen some programs um, establish standardization as an expectation from the outset. So they really sit down with the surgeon and, and that is something that everybody agrees they're going to adhere to. And also in onboarding a new surgeon. And then lastly, something that can also be um, a real challenge for a total joint program is really understanding the needs of the particular community that it operates in. There are different challenges in different areas that need to be addressed. So, you know, that could be access to care in a particular community, having a lot of non-English speakers, having communities where transportation is a real issue. So we have seen things, you know, innovative approaches where programs will set up a shuttle service to get patients to physical therapy when they know that's a challenge. Sometimes um, we have seen virtual physical therapy and virtual visits and video-based home exercise programs employed in those areas where patients live far away and may not have access. So the point is to really assessing your community particular that your program is operating in, finding any barriers for successful recovery, and then trying to work with those 
and overcome those. Yeah, absolutely. Communication can definitely be pretty difficult within a such a large or even, even medium-sized organization. Um, but it's good to know that that's definitely a priority for you and you definitely recommend it. Um, data collection is essential for any healthcare initiative, but it takes particular significance in a joint program, as I'm sure you know all about. Um, would you be able to elaborate on the importance of data collection in this context and how it contributes to the program success? Are there any specific metrics or data points that programs should prioritize and how can they leverage this data to drive continuous improvement? Yeah, so as you said, um, data collection is vital. It's impossible to conduct any kind of quality improvement without leveraging your data. Like the saying goes, you cannot manage what you cannot measure. And so, you know, we mentioned this earlier, outcome is one of the most important markers, of course, for any total joint program. So we really recommend that the program needs to know what some of these outcome indicators are, as well as their complications. So we're talking about surgical site infection rate, readmissions in the 30 days after surgery, what is your blood transfusion rate, what is your length of stay? Those are really basics that every program should know. But as far as you know, actionable indicators that are good to know the data on that might improve your program, we really recommend looking at Things like, you know, asking your patients how well did they understand the education they received during their stay, particularly for discharge instructions. This is very important because patients are not in the hospital very long anymore. They go home and manage a lot of their recovery that they used to be in the hospital for just a few years ago. They're now at home managing themselves. So it's really important that your discharge instructions are clear and concise and asking your patients, did those make sense? Did you feel prepared for discharge? And getting those answers can help you tailor the discharge instructions so that the patients are really well informed and ready when they go home. Looking at um, early ambulation data is also something we recommend. So are these patients ready to get out of bed and walk within a few hours of surgery? This can really help identify barriers to early discharge and help a program to lower their length of stay. And so um, looking at if they're not able to walk, why is that happening? Is it pain, is it nausea? Those things are really important to know. And so we always recommend the program look at that as well. And then of course, it's really crucial to benchmark these data. You know, ideally um, against a large third party pool. So, you can use a national registry for that, such as the AJRR, but it's important that you have a benchmark and a goal. And so, you know, I would be remiss if I didn't also talk about uh, pros and or PROMs, as they sometimes are called, patient um, outcome measures. And so the healthcare system, as you know, we're shifting more and more toward a value-based system. So data collection has really become central to demonstrate that a total joint program is in fact providing high value care. And one of the ways we're doing that is by those patient recorded outcome measures like the who's or who's junior um, that measure the patient's self-reported pain and functional status both before and after surgery. And so of course, those are very important for a program to be measuring because that way they can demonstrate 
how well are our patients improving after this surgery? Are they um, much more functional? Is their pain a lot less? And uh, of note, really important, CMS is going to be mandating these patient reported outcome measures for arthroplasty in the near future. So mandatory reporting is going to start in 2027. And so we definitely recommend that all programs, if they are not already rec recording and uh, collecting data on these measures start now. Yeah, thank you so much for all of that insight. Um, if we could transition for just a minute from patients to surgeons, creating an environment that benefits surgeons is crucial for the success of a joint program. And I've been hearing about it more and more ever since COVID-19. What are some key factors that contribute to a surgeon-friendly environment? Um, how can program administrators and leaders collaborate effectively with surgeons to ensure their needs are met? And what impact does this collaboration have on patient outcomes and overall program success? Yeah, so like you said, it is really important um, to know the needs of the surgeons, first of all. you know, So open communication is just really important. And uh, we see programs where, you know, administration is consistently present at the interdisciplinary total joint program meetings. So they can firsthand hear the challenges and the needs of the surgeons. And that is really a crucial first step is that you know what those needs are and you are present and you're listening. Um, and so there are some specific uh, factors that have emerged that are really key in, in having uh, surgeon satisfiers in your program. So the support staff is really a huge part of that. So if the program can have consistent staffing, uh, particularly a dedicated orthopedic staff with orthopedic specialized uh, scrub techs and circulators that are really knowledgeable in these procedures, and also having enough support staff to turn over an operating room in a timely fashion. This will keep the surgeon's downtime to a minimum and alleviate a lot of the frustrations that they sometimes experience if they have a lot of downtime between their cases that they're really not utilizing. Of course, guaranteed block time, uh, times of the week where they have ORs available is always a patient satisfier. Uh, something else that we've really seen emerge that surgeons are looking for now is technology. In particular, robots have emerged as something that a lot of surgeons want to use in their surgeries. And so having those available or listening to the surgeons as to which uh, systems would be most uh, needed and most beneficial is also something that we have seen a lot. Um, a navigator, an orthopedic navigator, is also an excellent resource for a surgeon. This navigator can really ease a lot of the burden on the surgeon's office staff because the navigator can be a go-to in the pre and immediate post-op period for the patient. And so alleviate a lot of phone calls um, by the education they do and also the availability to answer questions. So that's something that really a lot of surgeons have reported is really helpful to them and their patients. And then again, I mentioned this earlier, but having those ancillary staff that are really knowledgeable and can assist the surgeon. So anesthesia um, that is really proficient 
in the techniques that a lot of the surgeons would like to use now. So a variety of peripheral nerve blocks being very proficient in spinal anesthesia. This is something that surgeons are looking for as well when they are joining a, a hospital or a total joint program. Yeah, definitely. Thank you so much for all of that insight. Something you mentioned a lot in this podcast is how patient education and engagement play a vital role in the success of a total joint program. Before I let you go, the last thing I wanted to ask you, Nicole, is what are some effective methods or resources that programs can use to educate patients about the procedure, pre-operative preparation, and post-operative care? Um, and how does a well-informed and engaged patient base contribute to better outcomes and long-term program success? Yeah, so like you said, um, preoperative education uh, is vital in today's total joint programs. Again, I mentioned this earlier, but the time that the patients are engaged and on site, be it either an ambulatory surgery center or the hospital, it's getting shorter and shorter. A lot of patients are going home the same day and are then managing their own recovery as opposed to being taken care of by nurses. So it is so important that they understand exactly how to take care of their total joint and their overall health and how to manage their wound. And also to look out for any potential complications that they need to promptly notify their surgeon about. So all of those things are really important in order to decrease uh, potential complications and they can really affect outcome in a meaningful way. So it's important that patients be actively engaged um, in this process. So one of the things that's really important to understand, there's really, when it comes to engagement of the patient and education, one size does not fit all. You have to have a variety of ways to engage your patient. And that's, again, where it's important to know your community. Some communities are maybe in a more rural area where patients do not have high-speed internet. Some communities, a lot of patients don't have internet at all. And so merely having a virtual way to connect with patients is not adequate in those situations. So knowing that about your patient and then offering workarounds, you know, having um, perhaps you know, reaching out to a patient by a phone, meeting them at the facility and having an in-person education session when the patient is there for their preoperative testing. So those things are important to have different ways of offering that education. You should have both, you know, written education, so pamphlets and booklets that the patients can take home and look at again. But then also it's important to have some one-on-one. -on -one. So having a navigator available that can answer questions that the patient may have after looking at the materials, be that a video, a class, or a booklet, so that there is some personal involvement and they can speak to a real life person. Um, that is important for a lot of patients and especially some of the elderly patients that may not be as comfortable with technology as some of the younger patients are. Um, the app-based learning um, technologies have really taken off and in some communities and with some patients are very popular. But again, you can't just rely on that. There has to also be a backup for those patients 
that may not be so much visual learners and need that one-on-one -on -one touch. Yeah, those are some great examples of what organizations can do. Thank you so much for those final thoughts, Nicole. Um, and thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. We really appreciate it. And it's been a pleasure speaking with you today. I'd also like to thank our podcast sponsor, the Joint Commission. You can tune into more podcasts from Becker's Healthcare by visiting our podcast page at beckerspodcast.com. Thank you again, Nicole. Thank you so much for having me.